0: My name is Anna and in July I was diagnosed with hairy cell leukemia, a rare slow growing blood cancer of the B cells. In October, I flew to Washington DC to participate in a clinical trial at the NIH, combining cladribine, the standard of care drug for HCL, with rituximab, a monoclonal antibody. I rented an apartment in DC for five weeks so that I could get treated without having to fly back and forth across the country while my counts were lowest. After that, I flew to DC each Wednesday Received the Rituxan infusion Thursday and headed straight to the airport to fly back to LA for the fifth and sixth weeks of treatment My blood counts were stagnant. It was hard not to feel discouraged by that November 23rd this week I'm getting my treatment a day early so that I can be back in LA in time for Thanksgiving with my family I convinced my mom that I'd be fine going alone this time. I slept on the flight to DC got to Dulles at 6:30 p.m. I waited outside for the shuttle. It was cold, but I was pretty bundled up. I was traveling light with just a backpack with a single change of clothes. Finally, the shuttle arrived. I met the driver, a nice man named George. I was the only passenger, so we chatted during the long drive to the NIH. He was nice enough to take me directly to the medical center metro stop so I could take my train to my hotel. One stop and I was there. Super hungry and exhausted from all the travel. I sat down at the restaurant in the hotel. The place was empty. I guess not a lot of people were in hotels by themselves Thanksgiving week. It was an upscale restaurant and an expensive meal, and I was a little stressed out about the costs of travel. And then the waiter came by and said if I signed up for a rewards card, I'd get a free meal. There were little things that put me in a positive mood. Up early the next morning to take the shuttle to the NIH. I was surprised to find the hospital was nearly empty. There were very few patients and very few staff. I got my blood drawn at phlebotomy with the shortest weight I'd ever had. Went up to the day hospital where it was similarly quiet. There were no other patients in my room or the connecting room. Just me and the very kind nurses. As my nurse was putting my IV in, Dr. K walked in with a big smile. He said, did you hear the good news? Your bone marrow biopsy's results came back showing no hairy cells and no minimal residual disease. I was stunned. I, I, I think I said something like, wow, what? wow i shook his hand and thanked him i couldn't quite believe it i thought he was going to say my counts were going up finally but i didn't expect this kind of news the bone marrow biopsy had been done at the fifth week which means that after four weeks of treatment i was already in complete remission dr K said that this is their best result certainly something to celebrate and then he left i was blown away it was not yet 9 a.m which meant 6 a.m on the west coast I managed to wait for like 10 minutes before giving in and texting all my family and friends. I called my mom. It felt great to give her the good news. I texted my best friend Alicia, and she called me in tears. It was overwhelming in the best way, a crazy change of circumstance. As the Benadryl from my pre-meds kicked in, I happily fell asleep. was woken up a couple hours later by one of the nurses on the hcl research team she congratulated me on the good news she'd stopped by to deliver something apparently the wife of another hcl patient had read about me on the hcl forum or maybe heard the podcast and she contacted the nurse to anonymously give me a gift i almost cried it was chocolates and art supplies if you're listening thank you so much your gift was such a lovely addition to a wonderful day of finding out this good news about my health the rest of the rituxan infusion went by without any issues, and I was on my way back home to celebrate Thanksgiving with the good news. December 1st. This is the last of my rituxan treatments. This time my mom came with me. Knowing that I was in remission, we both were in a pretty good mood. We enjoyed a nice meal at our hotel, took a walk, stopped for coffee in the morning before going to the NIH. The infusion was uneventful. By now there was nothing intimidating or scary about it, and I felt like I had it down to routine. I was happy to have the chance to chat with Dr. K and all the wonderful nurses to thank all of them. I got my follow-up schedule, which basically involves CBCs back home every three months, a trip to the NIH for a bone marrow biopsy in April, and after that, a trip to the NIH once yearly for a bone marrow biopsy and checkup. Knowing it was the last time I'd be there for a while, I looked at everything with some fondness. The loveliness of fall on the East Coast was particularly striking, and I had all sorts of cliché poetic thoughts about change and transformation and the beauty of decay that leads to growth. We headed back home in good spirits. Now I'm home. For nearly six months I've been dealing with this health stuff, and it's really dominated my life. I'm relieved to be able to expand my focus to other things in my life. I'm also relieved for all the people closest to me, who shared in a lot of the stress and worry that I was dealing with. As someone who is really interested in the ways that people care for and support each other, I used to be a crisis counselor. I know that this kind of stuff can lead to secondary stress and trauma. I've been concerned about the ripple effects of my cancer diagnosis and treatment on my loved ones. Case in point, my my boyfriend Hoku and I live together, and I know that my health issues have had a daily effect on his life for the last six months. So I wanted to sit down and talk to him about what this has been like for him and how he's handled it. This is Hoku. Hello. I think we've both talked about this um, article that we uh, have read about, like, a, a ring theory of trauma and pain, which is, and, the, and this article actually gave the example of a woman who is going through, like, cancer, chemo for a cancer, and her husband was, like, the second closest person, so if she's in the center of the ring, he's the second ring, so in this situation, like, if I'm the center of the ring, you're the second ring, and then there's multiple rings going out, including family and friends and co-workers and everybody else who had kind of like the ripple effect of of being affected by this. But the whole idea of the ring theory of that, of, of, of trauma, is you support the people who are close to the center and then you sort of like, the, you use the rings that are further out to look for support for yourself. Um, uh, and I feel like you kind of consciously brought that up at one point early on when I got the diagnosis saying that you wanted to um, try to minimize the degree to which you were looking to me for support during this time for things that were going on with you um, because you didn't want to add to like my stress levels. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that and like w- what led you to that kind of decision making and, and and did you did you find other people to... To talk to you about stuff when you needed it.
1: Yeah, I, that was one of the first things that, you know, what you know after the initial shock of processing the diagnosis and and just absorbing it and looking to the future for for whatever reason that was one of the first non logistical things that, that came to mind. And I think it's because we are so close. Like I. I uh, you know, I, I I have a lot of acquaintances, and I have um, I, I definitely have a few really good friends. Um, you know, but I think that you know definitely the person who um, really gets the most of me and whom I share the most with, and you know who I who I commiserate with the most is you. And suddenly, there were just a lot of signals in my brain saying, "Okay, well, you know, there's just aspects of this that are going to have to change while you're going through this. Like, there's just certain things that sudden there, there's just certain." rooms within our relationship that as i sort of was projecting months and months down the line going through this just didn't quite feel right um in terms of being what they what they were at least for a period of time there's also a weird balance with that though there's not burdening you with with burdens there's not like piling on burdens on you, but at the same time you know our our relationship. I also feel like kind of needed to go on. Like if I if I just came in with sort of like a you know a Twilight Zone smile uh, every day, mm-hmm. and you know if you know and when you make movies, basically your job is just pushing through and solving problems. And so you know if I if I didn't communicate any of that to you, um, then I, I actually think our relationship would have gotten weird.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that. Um you handled that really well in terms of like keeping me in the loop about everything that was going on with you, but being pretty careful to not bring like a lot of negativity. So, did you feel like during that time you um, were able to talk to other people in your life when you needed to?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Like it, it's 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 more complicated, I think, because there's a lot of people. Like I didn't. You know, I I I think in in the development of our relationship and just I don't know it's it's weird and and just being an adult male like uh, you know <laughs> there's you just don't I don't know there's 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 not a ton of valves for you know for for emotional discussion you know that that I have in my life and there are, there are, there there are, they, they do exist and like, you know, there are people in my life who are really great for that, but they're not people. It, it's not the equivalent of what I share with you where, you know, I think we both kind of, if we get, if we're lucky enough to get a little bit of time uh, at the beginning or end of a day, you know, there's just a lot of just, Oh, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm doing. Like I, I don't really, I have good friends. It's not really the relationship I have with many of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, if I felt like it was important, like if I was going through something hard, in many instances, uh, you know, they were there to just say, "Oh, hey, yeah, I get it. Let's let's chat."
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, like pulling back a little bit. So, what's this whole experience been like for you? And, and what would you say was the hardest part for
1: you? So okay. So you look at you look at cancer, and there's a ton of different things that can happen um, when someone has, has cancer. But, you know, one of the things that can happen when someone has cancer, uh, is they die too, far too early. And so while I knew that that was a possibility, but not the possibility, um, and, you know, a experience that could happen, but not the experience that could happen. Like, I think, you know, if, if, if you, if you love someone, even if you don't, that, that can really that can be the worst thing you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess there's there's just this feeling of wow, you know. And I you know this is always the case in life. It doesn't really take cancer to to to, to really make this a reality. But something about cancer just brings into your eyesight your worst fear. Like the, the oh wow, like my worst fear is you know it's like you're in a dark room and your worst fear could potentially be twelve feet away. And you know so I think that. That, that just hammers on your nerves a little bit, you know? Like, I, I, I can't think of anything more upsetting uh, than than you dying. I, I That just, you know, and I, it's not even something I would have spent the time thinking about before this. So I think, you know... When you find out that somebody you love has, has cancer, you, you sort of have to find a way to go through your day being cool with that concept, being a much more distinct, pos- yeah. feeling like a much more distinct possibility than, than it did before.
0: <laughs> that uh, mirrors how I feel about it too. The worst part about the experience was psychological. Once we got into, as, as more and more things fell into place with the treatment and what we were gonna do and even like Even the chemo and actually going through all that stuff was not as bad as the psychological stuff of adjusting to this happening, being scared and dealing with that. Like, just the disruption in my life and your life and everybody's life and, like, having to put aside plans that I had and we had, you know, just all that stuff.
1: Uh, Another difficult thing is watching you be sick, like... I have absolutely no uh, no problem watching you vomit. I'm like if you're but it, but but if you're but but like if you're sick with flu, or yeah. like a stomach bug, or you had food poisoning. Like I, I have no problem. Like you know you can you could you know you could throw up on my shoe. Heck, you have thrown up on my shoes before, um, and I, I don't mind it. But I, I think watching you know there were a few health bouts when you were going through the chemo where you were just having such bad reactions, whether they be vomiting or we, you know, we, we had a scare, uh, you know, where you had an allergic reaction to some iron. Um, that, that was, that was really disturbing. And it was, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, I don't, you know, like I can't, you know, I can't, (laughs) well, two things. Yeah. It's very disturbing to watch that because, you know, again, it's the person I love the most next to my parents is extremely uncomfortable and in a lot of pain and you know, basically just being, you know, uh uh strategically poisoned.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> strategically poisoned.
1: <laughs> so
0: <That's true. laughs> you know
1: and then also, yeah, that, that's a, that's a great example. Like, there would be a day where I'd be like, "Wow, I've seen you like vomit three times. I saw you have a horrible allergic reaction to something. You know, like, you know, you're 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 clearly in a lot of pain." And it's like, there's some non-thinking part of my brain that's thinking, "I'm going to talk to Anna about this." And it's like, "No, you're not." <laughs> you know, so, so interesting. like, and not not that I actually, I don't know. Let me let me try to rephrase that. Like, there's there's some part of your brain that thinks like, oh, I want to talk to someone about this. The person who I talk to about it would be you, and then I'm like, oh shit, I'm you know, just gonna, you know, keep this to myself.
0: That's a perfect example, though. Like, did you did you talk to anyone when we were out there?
1: Not really, no.
0: Because that was intense. That for that, you and I were in D.C. for like ten or twelve days before your mom came and my family came and, and, and your aunt and uncle came and we had visitors. Um, and that was like the most intense part of the treatment where I was really sick from from cladravine and, and, and having like allergic reactions to stuff. Um, that's something where it's like a pretty concrete example of a time when it's everyone in my life knew I was going through this and I was even if I didn't really have the energy to call people and whatnot. First of all, I had you there, who was just basically, like, you know, literally carrying me, (laughs) like, to the NIH when I couldn't really walk by myself Um, and literally holding me up and, like, and, like, talking to me and stuff and cheering me up. And I had, like, a bunch of people calling me and checking in on me. So that's something where... I mean, I just think it's not... um, I just think it's something where... Uh, it's important to think about, like, the ways that, what am I trying to say? Like, for that 10 or 12 days, which was the most intense part of my treatment, you were the second person for whom it was the hardest. Um, but you had, like, it, you didn't have, like, the natural inflow of, like, checking in on how you were doing. Um, sure. So it's just something to think about for, like, you and for other people who are supporting people who are going through health stuff or cancer or whatever, like, it's just, it's not, I know it's not easy. (laughs) I know it's really hard. Um, So I guess, like, do you have any thoughts about how other people who are partners or, like, loved ones of cancer patients, one can be supportive and helpful and also, like, can find ways to take care of themselves emotionally?
1: Yeah, allowing yourself, you know, finding a way to make sure that you're supported while you're giving someone support is, is, is really important. Like, you're, you're kind of useless to that person Mm -hmm. if, uh, if you're not feeling healthy. And there's a lot about, um, there's a lot about someone you love fighting cancer that is not going to be healthy for you. Yeah. There was, you know, there, there are many different kinds of support. So you know for example um you know my my aunt and uncle and my mom came out to 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 give some support to both of us and and that was that was really great and that was really helpful um, <clears throat> you know and it was also just you know we were literally in a in a basement it was it was a very nice basement a nicely decorated basement but we were literally in a basement so it was also nice to just have uh, you know loved community from the outside world coming in mm-hmm. um but, yeah, I think, you know, if, uh, you know, in, in the event of going through something like that again, I think I'd probably, you know, I'd probably plan trying to, trying to, trying to find people who I could say, hey, look, I'll, I'll, I might need to check in. Yeah. Um, um, probably would be smart. You know, that, again, that's difficult. And I think that that's, that's not... I don't know, it's it's weird, like, that is not, um, even though I've had, you know, some of my friends, you know, uh, either, you know, offered that or, or, or just said that I needed that, there's something about that that doesn't feel natural. And I, I don't know why, I don't know if that's myself or if that's, that's culture. I, I think the experience would've been hard either way, but I think it would've been made a little easier had I done that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I found out, you know, a few weeks ago that I'm in complete remission. We celebrated. It's a huge relief for both of us. I don't know. I guess what was, uh, what was it like for you to uh, get the news that day? Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was everything you'd think. Huge, huge relief. Um, weight off the shoulders.
0: Well, this is the end of the podcast for now. I think telling this story has helped provide me with some healthy perspective. And obviously real experiences don't have endings the way stories do. Life doesn't end until we die. But I've talked before about how it was important for me to try and try to learn some lessons from this diagnosis. And so in no particular order, here's a list of my arbitrary closing thoughts. Number one, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is to not be too attached to a rigid idea of how I I want my life to go. Anything can change for any of us at literally any moment. Number two, a big question to continue to examine as a cancer survivor is how do you exist within the moments of your remission without focusing on the next relapse? In a group text with my brothers after I got the good news about my complete remission, my brother V asked, So is it safe to say she beat cancer yet, or what? And my brother Hike, who is a doctor, replied, Well, it's a marathon, not a sprint, this cancer battle thing. We won't know she's really cured until she dies of old age. The average remission time for HCL patients is 10 to 15 years. I could relapse sooner than that, or later than that, or maybe never relapse. For now, I'm going to consider myself cancer-free until my next bone marrow biopsy in April, and just try to enjoy my life and focus on what's meaningful to me. But really, even that's a false sense of security. I mean, any of us could die at any time so I don't think it makes sense to worry right now about an eventual relapse. As Newt Scamander said in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, my philosophy is that worrying means you suffer twice. Number three. There's a lot of stuff that I'm excited to learn and to try. For example, I want to make another podcast, maybe a fictional one, or maybe write some short stories. I've officially resigned from my full-time job, and I want to give freelance design work a try, at least until I start school next fall. I want to focus more on my health but hopefully in ways that are fun cooking rock climbing yoga i'm way less concerned about my lack of skills or intimidated by the thought that i'll be embarrassed if i put something subpar out into the world the pressure is off in a big way because i feel pretty lucky just to be alive also as much as i wish i was forever changed in some positive way that would make life easier and sweeter i know that whatever lessons i take from this will fade Distance from this experience will almost certainly cause me to revert back to old habits and ways of thinking. To be honest, that's already happening. So it's on me to intentionally live the life I want to live every day. Number four. My experience with HCL has been extremely affirming in terms of my trust and just the fundamental goodness of people. Everyone in my life showed up for me in ways that were unique to them. There was no one blueprint of how to be supportive or helpful. This podcast helped me feel connected to people and not so alone. Strangers reached out to me online to offer kindness and support. Patients I met at the NIH who were going through some serious stuff, often worse than my situation, were incredibly generous and kind. If not for all the supportive people in my life, I know that this experience would have been a lot more disruptive and harmful. On that note, if any of my listeners out there are dealing with HCL or similar diseases and want to chat about it, I'm super happy to be available for that. Thanks for joining me for episode 6 of Anna and the Hairy Cells, a documentary podcast series about getting a scary diagnosis and learning how to move forward. Special thanks to my boyfriend Hoku for chatting with me this week. And thanks to everyone, more people than I can name, for your help and support the last six months. Thanks so much for following along with this series. This is the last episode for now. If there's something you'd like to share, or if you'd like to chat, send me a message at AnnaAndTheHairyCells.com. I'd love to hear from you.